Hey everyone, I'm Patrick um, with Anna Linda and Adam. We're uh, from RBC Ventures. Um, and I think the best place to start here is just to talk about what RBC Ventures actually is. Yeah, so RBC Ventures is, is really a, a collection of super smart people that aren't necessarily from the bank or the traditional bank. Um, but it's really an opportunity for RBC to kind of go out beyond banking in order to be able to construct relationships with Canadians as a legacy institution uh, in different ways that they might not have ever done before. Um, so, you know, we look at all the different types of opportunities that are out there from, uh, you know, customer acquisition, subscriptions, uh, garbage day, all that type of stuff uh, in order to be able to try to figure out what are the different ways that we can actually connect RBC to Canadians that aren't typical mortgage, car loans, you know, the typical banking products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see it as a way for us to solve real consumer problems. So to start, I mean, as an ethnographer, which I think will come up later in our chats, but um, I see it as an opportunity for Canada's biggest bank uh, to take uh, real interest in what people really need and get down to their actual like actual human needs take the time to delve and then build things that really solve some of those problems yeah i think it's interesting through the research that we've done you see how banking is such a key piece of every important mm. aspect of people's lives and i think there's like you know it's a great opportunity for us to find those key needs find a way to fix them and then and then you know hopefully the bank benefits from that too yeah, yeah. definitely so awesome. I think we should probably talk about what we actually do. Um, yes. Annalyn, you mentioned being an ethnographer. Can you talk a little bit about what that what that means? I can. I'm an ethnographer. Uh, that means I study people. Ethnography, strictly in its most like academic sense, um, <clears throat> would be like what anthropologists do. So they'd go and move in with a tribe somewhere and spend like a year, a year and a half there, uh, learn everything about it. Um, have some, you know, probably massive breakdowns of everything that they believe and have a crisis and come back and write all about it and tell the world uh, what's happening. And there's there's been a lot of things to discredit that approach as well because it's, you know, really um, centered on, like, Western scholarship and that kind of stuff. But uh, ultimately, companies have realized that the methodology of not just asking people questions but going to empathize with them and to feel uh, what they're feeling, to live life alongside them, and to document that uh, is a way to build products that consumers really need. Mm. Um, so ethnography is uh, the practice of going deep with people, spending time diving in, um, and it uses observation. It uses something that I like to call structured stalking, um, which is when you follow someone throughout their day, uh, you follow the activity. So it depends on which activity you're trying to study. Like maybe it's um, commuting. So then we follow people or obviously with their consent, uh, take the TTC with them, see their pain points, um, ask them to demonstrate for us what the real experience is like, and then we take careful notes of that as well as talking to them about it um, and produce something like an in insights that can really build products that they need. Uh, I read a study recently about how going to someone's house and seeing where they live uh, can give you more of an understanding of them than spending like a whole day with them. Mm. Um, and I thought that that... Uh, was really interesting and a lot of really um, um, expresses what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I think that's such an, an interesting turn. I don't think anyone would expect the bank to be like having yeah. ethnographers on staff and, <clears throat> and to be taking that sort of mm -hmm. that approach of actually like getting into people's lives and seeing what they're actually doing to mm -hmm. solve those problems. It's completely shocking that the skill set transfers to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're surprised by that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I mean, people are people, and I guess I always knew that to a degree. Um, but before this, I studied slums in Mumbai. I mm. studied slum activism. Mm. So I uh, spent time kind of embedding myself with an activist movement, 
um, understanding what makes people attracted to activist movements and um, protests and all those things. And I didn't think, I mean, you, the Western consumer of FinFit is like, couldn't be more different than the, you know, slum resident with a 39 year life expectancy living next to a garbage dump in Mumbai's outskirts. Wow. So that doesn't, but the, but the methodologies really translate and uh, there is kind of this, at the risk of really simplifying it, there's this core part of how we study people and our core humanity that I think really, um, and empathy, I think, is universal. Yeah, that's fascinating. Adam, can you talk a little bit about what you do? I, I don't actually even know. Yeah, no, uh, totally. So I consider myself a product manager, <laughs> which basically is a lot of what you talked about, but not in the depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of translating customer and market needs back into technology and delivering what we would consider value, customer value, back mm-hmm. out to the market. Uh, so a lot of what you say around empathy is, is a constant struggle for product managers to try to build and try to understand mm-hmm. um, because you're going to always have to make these day-to-day trade-offs and decisions when you get down into, we want to do this, mm-hmm. but here's what we're actually going to be able to do. And so how do we make sure that what the customer's problems are, are well understood, that we can actually articulate that through the product that we're delivering back to them. So mm-hmm. I totally get like that resonates mm-hmm. uh, strongly with me. But um, so so for me here, it's really a lot of the similar practices that I've learned and picked up on in the last 20 years of my career is, is how do we translate market problems, customer problems back into mm-hmm. software and technology that we're using every single day within all the different ventures mm-hmm. um, and, and really do that. So it, it's, it's super interesting to talk more about the, the research part of it mm-hmm. uh, that is intriguing to me. But I'm also interested in what you do because we haven't really spent very much yeah. time together at all. Yeah, for sure. Well, my, my background is actually in experimental psychology. So, um, And I, I think when I got into psych, I initially thought I was going to be a, a therapist or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I got really interested in how um, people interact with technology and, uh, and, and how things like social media or text-based communication is influencing how people live their lives and connect with each other. Um, so I ended up finding the Human Oriented Technology Lab at Carleton. I did my master's degree there studying how aesthetics influence people's performance with, with technology. Um, and that led me into, into the field of user experience, which is really the design of the interaction that people have um, with these technology, with the technology that we're, we're building. Um, because, you know, like a, a phone is, I mean, they're, they're amazing things. They've changed our lives in such significant ways. Um, but without someone interacting with it, it's nothing. Right. It's, it's what happens between those people. It's what's happening in the world around them mm-hmm. um, and how that, how that, those things connect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the point where we can really make uh, influence and make really great products. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question to follow up on that? Uh, the, so we have this thing lately in our culture where phones are addictive and they're bad and we need to put them in lockboxes and send our children off into the woods again and mm-hmm. all those, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, is that something that you think about a lot when you're making products? Like, is this something that's going to be a positively addictive versus negatively addictive versus what do you even think about the word addiction yeah. in that sentence? No, I, I think it's something really, um, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Uh, I think that um, the first thing that I'll, I'll say on that is that when you look at the way that people actually use their devices, the most common things they're doing is they're actually connecting with people that they love. And people that are a great distance away, um, they're, they're taking pictures of their family, they're looking at those photos, they're, they're sharing these moments with people that they can't be close to. Um, so I think that on, on, on the whole, it's what you see people doing is actually really positive things. Mm. Um, but I think there is a risk, uh, and I think there's a responsibility that we have as we're building these products 
to be considerate of people's attention and what, um, you know, how much of that we're going to take and what we're going to give them back in exchange for that. Mm. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of these, you know, things like, you know, Facebook and, you know, some of the, some of the um, uh, games that are out there too, like these the uh, pay-as-you-play games, um, they're really just going after people's attention without any real consideration of how that might impact them. And, um, and yeah, it, it, can, it can leverage a lot of kind of addictive behavior cycles um, and, and can get pretty problematic for sure. Is there really a situation where, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the aesthetic piece as mm. well, but mm. with the phones, I know that, you know, my point of view is that they're kind of here. Mm. We all have them. So, and I think a lot of the comparisons between that technology and the technology, like televisions in the 1950s, mm. there's a lot of parallels between what people said were bad about that and bad about the phones. And so, you know, from your work and, and study it, and understanding, is it really a situation where we sort of have to figure out the most effective way to live with the technology in society, uh, as opposed to just saying, no, they're bad, stop, because mm. they're here. Yeah. Our, you know, my son's going to grow up with the phone. He, he has the phone all the time <laughs> already. And so the reality is, is like, that's not going to change. Mm. You know, that's going to be around him for his entire life. Whereas for me and, and for us, I think it wasn't necessarily part of our childhood. Uh, so is it an effort to try to understand, look, they're here. How do we make sure that our relationships don't suffer severely while being able to leverage the technology. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're finding that, that, you know, new rules around etiquette around devices, it's, it's starting to become a thing and people are starting to develop new social norms around how we're supposed to use these devices. Um, the thing that I think about a lot, though, is how, you know, that how the medium is the message. So hmm. it's the idea of mobile, mobile devices and being constantly connected. Um, yeah, maybe you're watching the same TV show. Maybe I'm watching reruns of Seinfeld on my, on my mobile device on my way to work. Um, but the fact that I'm doing that on my way to work in a social context, that's, that's its own message in itself. And that's its own, um, it's impacting the way that we're, we're, we think and the way that we interact with each other. Um, those are the questions that, uh, you know, really interest me the most. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the aesthetic piece... Mm. Uh, I don't know if this is this is true, but when you said that, I was thinking about from like my like building product, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that I'll, I'll I think about a lot is so long as you're delivering something that solves a problem, mm-hmm. people get really caught up in the notion that it all has to look really good, yeah. uh, and and how something aesthetically looks really really good, and this plays into a little bit of the research piece as well. I think where uh, you can placate or mask the underlying issue mm-hmm. of right. what's well, not actually doing anything, mm-hmm. but it looks amazing. Right. Uh, and, and so how do, you, how do you overcome that? Like, I mean, in, in research and in the aesthetic piece of your, your background, uh, how do you overcome the fact that today uh-huh. UX is so important, but really when you look back at things that are exceptionally popular now, like Amazon, Craigslist, all those things, they didn't look all that great, but they were delivering a lot of value. Right. Yeah, and I, I think... You know, when I talk about aesthetics, one of the other things I like to talk about a lot is affordance. And affordance just means that the way that something looks communicates its function. So, oh. so aesthetics can be like almost taken more broadly, like huh? that when you look at a shovel, it might not, you might not be like, wow, that's a really pretty shovel. Mm-hmm. But you, you might be like, I bet I could dig some sweet holes with that. Um, and that, I think, is, is also where, you know, yes, it, it, it should look pretty. And you're right, it will mask and influence how people use things. Um, but aesthetics can be used to actually communicate function mm. um, and should be used that way. I like that. I like that too. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I think also that um, 
we often, and I think this is probably universal across a lot of organizations, but there's a lot of focus often on making something look perfect before it gets out the door, and the whole concept of not doing things, like doing things quickly, and I'm trying not to use the word agile because sure. it's so... to do things with agility yeah um like increasingly the more and more we do research in ventures i've been trying to push on people that like just get it out the door get something out the door as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. even if it's the ugliest thing um put it in front of consumers because you're not going to know if someone's going to buy something until they buy it you can ask them any question and you have to test it in the market yeah um and so pilots i think are much more valuable than i mean i totally you know defend upfront research and getting all yeah. the like the, your stuff sorted at the beginning to figure out user needs but i think getting things out there as quickly as possible and then they'll tell you whether you know sure. this doesn't i think that yeah. i it, like this is something I'm, i am really passionate about because i think there's such a preconceived notion of oh it's got to be great uh, right. and it's got to be perfect and what does that mean like right. the idea has to be awesome and everything right. has to line up and all has to look really great before someone actually ever uses it right uh, and the the issue is is that it comes down to speed being more important than perfection because you will never right. obtain perfection right mm-hmm. and then when you're talking to users yeah. uh, up front you can't ever really understand right. whether or not they're going to buy something or transact with you until they do it exactly and people will tell you mm-hmm. and and people will tell you that they want it mm-hmm. or that they want to do it mm-hmm. regardless of what they get shown because mm-hmm. they think oh this is what i'm supposed to be saying yeah um but i but ultimately i, I totally agree with you like it's more important to get something out uh, and today, the danger, I think, in startups and, and a lot of the, the books and methodologies that have been written and published mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of MVP theater or, mm-hmm. like, tech theater or whatever where it's like, oh, look at all. It's V1. It's rough and scrappy. It's like, what took you a year to build it? <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. not, you got it. You got to figure right. it out sooner, right? Um, so, yeah, that's super yeah. interesting. Where does that come up in terms of uh, mm-hmm. research? Like, mm-hmm. when you go into something... What are, some, what are some things that people can think about when they go and talk to a customer, talk to a user that isn't going to, uh, you know, that, that's going to help them to orient, to make sure that they're getting the most value out of those conversations? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of my job is um, connecting methods to uh, goals. So people come to us and say, well, I need a survey or I need to do user interviews. But we spend a lot of time teasing out of them, like why they actually want like why they're actually doing research, and that's so. I think um, ethnography is really, really useful. Like this, like deep observation, one-on-one interviews, following people, getting into their like the nitty-gritty is good when I don't have a solution and I shouldn't get in there with something that I've already like thought out really well and decided. It, sh- it should be an open-ended, broad thing that generates ideas, and that's the that's its place. Whereas um, if I've already got, and I, I do think that the best ideas come from there, like from that, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, deep study early on um but you don't need you don't always need to do one-on-one interviews and i'm not gonna one of the things i think that i mean is very tempting for research in enterprise and in corporations is to push more research because i did a presentation a few months ago um and someone came up afterwards and said you know now that you did the one-on-one interviews are you going to do like quantitative research and i was like well why and it was this back and forth question. I like would not like go of this thing because I think it's I wouldn't like stop asking her why she wanted that yeah. because I think it's such a it bugs me that we're just pushing research for the sake of research sure. and we're pushing those methods yep. instead of asking like what the real question is. Um, so I think I think to it, to answer your question is first like understand why you're using that method and why it's the best way to get the answer that you want, mm-hmm. um, and then you shouldn't 
like sometimes it's doing a pilot is the best way. It's mm. pushing things out there. Like if you already have an idea, you've talked to a bunch of people about it. Sometimes you just got to put it in the market, and it's it's not actually about doing more research. Um, I know that wasn't necessarily. No, there. that's totally yeah? that's totally true. Mm. I'm curious how when mm. you do this, these, you get really in in depth, and you yeah. you, know, you get into people's homes and you follow them around all day and mm-hmm. do a little bit of consensual stalking, sure. um, that um, how do you take that information and those insights and communicate those back to other people? Mm-hmm. Especially in like you're trying to condense that into say like a half an hour, an hour presentation. Right. Yeah, we make a deck, mm-hmm. um, which uh, we've tried to get, uh, we've tried to get away from that in, in different ways. We've started doing like some video and like some audio recording, played around with like podcasts and stuff like that. Um, but uh, so one of the things that I try to remember is... Um, and at the beginning, I actually tried to use a lot of theories and stuff and weave in all these things I learned in academia and make it really, you know, um, big and meta. Mm. Uh, but people resonate with stories. And I actually think that the role of a good ethnographer in this environment is to tell the human story that emerges from that. That can be several different human stories, depending on what stage you're at and whether it's like a persona's kind of thing you're developing. Mm. Um, but so I basically just try to write a concise story like these are the if you wanted to understand the TTC commuter these are the five or six things they feel every day sometimes breaking it down into what they feel what they think how they interact socially with others um, keep it really simple don't overthink it um, and and write a story is, mm. is what I think works basically mm. yeah so the product manager in me is gonna yeah I'm I, like talking to one person is interesting because you're gonna get insights but then I'm mm-hmm. I would jump on how defensible is yeah. the insights you're pulling out of one interview yeah if you have 10 yeah uh, people that are of similar ilk right. what is the what are some of the things that you would think about when you're going through all of the actual research that you've done across that span of, of mm-hmm. individuals um, yeah so the first thing we try to do is uh, recruit from, I guess, recruit from the margins. If you think of the bell curve, if we believe in the bell curve, which is, you know, depending on what you're studying, there's basically there's a book of people that are going to be your main, ultimately your main users of whatever you're going to build or whatever that population is. And then you've got, like, the edge cases. So we try to always recruit a couple of edge cases. When we were doing research for um, a project a few months ago, we picked someone who basically doesn't want to have a phone at all, someone who's a super user of their, like, smartphone. So we try to get the edge cases so that you understand people across the spectrum. Um, and then when you're analyzing it, I guess you keep that, you keep that in mind. Um, but you'd be surprised at how much... So I, you'd be surprised at how much things get repeated and how much there is actually... Uh, without going into like any you know really mundane details of the methodology and analysis and whatever, people, people, their themes do come out if you've selected the right people for your research. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in traditional ethnography, we say you keep asking questions until you don't learn anything new anymore. And so for a PhD project, that could be like forty or fifty or whatever interviews, or depending on how crazy your supervisor is, you know, a mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hundred. But <laughs> uh, for for um, this environment, we have room, like time to do about like five or ten or whatever it is for the study. Um, but you'd be surprised, basically, at how much there is convergence. It's it's super yeah. interesting to me uh, about data informed versus data driven because when we talk uh, about yeah. all like the span of stuff, and then you mentioned yeah. you got to pick the right 
method to yeah. use. Uh, and then in my mind, I'm like, oh, how am I going to, how can I sell this feature or this whatever to my stakeholders? Right. And a lot of times it comes down to why are we doing this? Like right. a developer will ask, uh, someone in UX will ask, why Why product person yeah. are we building this thing? Uh, and uh, the best case scenario is typically you're going to have this compendium or, or package of information yeah. that's come from qualitative yeah. sources, quantitative sources. Yes. Uh, but I think <clears throat> the tendency is to really just now it's like, well, I'm data-driven. Right. Which to a lot of people means I'm just going to do what the data tells me. Mm -hmm. So if someone, if I hear the same mm -hmm. person kind of, or five people or whatever saying similar things, I'm just going to do that thing without really thinking yeah. through the mm -hmm. spectrum of what it is. Mm -hmm. So when you think about data and research, yeah. how do you weave your intuition right. into sort of what the end outcome is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I try to index heavy on intuition. I think we have to it, you're taking a method that was uh, like born and refined in the field where you had you know years and years to study something and deliver kind of the report on it uh, and squishing it into like four or five weeks instead of like four years. So uh, there is a lot of it's storytelling. A lot of it's storytelling. Um, yeah. So I think um, can you say that question again? Like. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's more just around the no, the difference between mm -hmm. it being data driven and data informed. Data informed, yeah. Because right. when I'm when I'm making product decisions yeah. on a day to day basis, yeah. uh, what a lot of times people will miss, it's like, oh, the the answers are all in the data. Right. <clears throat> and the truth is that that's not the case. No. Because you forget. Right. I actually have to make these trade-offs at the end yeah. of the day, the data will give me a direction, yeah. so it's informing me, yes, but it's right. not giving me the answer. Right. Yeah, and that's where I think the why is really important, because data-driven, I think, often means, well, um, people are buying more and more, I don't know, orange carrots at the supermarket, and so we're just going to manufacture that thing over and over and over again mm -hmm. and push them out, and then the people will buy them. But I, w the thing that ethnography does well is get at the why of human behavior. So we try to understand, and from one or two or three people, you can get at like why they do things really mm -hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I would say ethnography as a as a, a methodology is very like the inf index is heavily on the informed, and there's a lot of intuition. And there's a lot. I mean, if I interview you or a 60-year-old man interviews you, you will react differently to the interviewer. There's, like, so much subjectivity. Like, I don't ever pretend that it's this objective. Um, but then statistics aren't either, depending on, you know, mm -hmm. who you read, et cetera. Exactly. So, so I think data-informed is key. I think intuition is really important. It's an art as well as a science. Um, and I think the business is important. Like, nothing – it has to make sense. The, so, yeah. the business side has to make sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's just naive to think that yeah. anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we haven't focused a lot on you though so far. Is that what you were gonna? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I wanted, to, gonna... I wanted <laughs> to jump on this too because I think it's <laughs> it's really tough sometimes to. I think when you are really data driven, sometimes you can overlook the really great opportunities that come out mm -hmm. of those stories. So, mm -hmm. you might, if you had to decide between making a decision to build a product in a way that appealed somewhat to fifty percent of the population, right, or insanely to even like yes. 1%, like 1% right. of people will absolutely love this product. You want to go that 1% route. But if you are too data-driven, that's a hard argument to make. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because those 50% of people, they'll, it'll come and go and it won't really become part of their life. And a lot of products that now have ubiquity mm -hmm. started as something very focused. Mm -hmm. You know, like Facebook started as something very, very focused yes. for people at one university. It was this yes. one thing. It only did this one thing. You don't start with the whole feature set. You start with the one thing. Yes. 
if people really love that, it's gonna it's gonna take off. Oh man, I couldn't agree I really with you like more. I, yeah, yeah, totally. And I think like if you go back and you even look at what, one of the things I spend a lot of time on is looking at startup history mm -hmm. and thinking about looking at Airbnb's history, looking at Facebook's history, looking at Uber's history. They're mm -hmm. all the same, right? Yeah. They all have common eyes and patterns. I've been involved in seven or eight startups, all very similar. And I think when when we when you approach a product, you can get you can get wrapped up in the vision of what it could become yeah. and trick yourself into thinking, whoa, we have to do all of this, right? right? Make it look great and have all these things before you actually say, well, let's just worry about this one piece. Mm -hmm. Because if we can solve the one piece, that's solving a problem, that's solving a need. Right. Let's then expand and build outward from there as opposed to trying to do it all at once right. and kind of not doing any of it very well. Yeah. You're not really clear on what it is you're trying to solve for. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Amazon sold books on a exactly. not that pretty website. Exactly. And now, you know, I order toilet paper on this beautiful user interface. It, totally. Week. And, and Airbnb, Airbnb yeah. was like mats on a floor for designers coming to conferences, right? It's crazy. It, that, like yeah. that's, that's how these things end up operating mm. because... You know, one of the things I, I think about is that you don't ever get aha moments mm -hmm. at a whiteboard or at a conference table. I like that. You're only going to get the aha moment in execution. Yeah. And when you start to execute, you start to put things in front of people, yeah. that's when you can maneuver and weave your way through yeah. it and start to uncover, oh, okay, we started here. Yeah. But it's sort of like this journey, right, of like where you start isn't really good. It's not going to look exactly where you end up. It might look something like it, but it's going to take all these paths right. uh, forward in, in different, unique ways. Yeah. How do you um, communicate with a t like a diverse team of like there's the UX people, there's the devs, there's like all these people that you're trying to manage? Yeah. Around that, is there any like totally tips and tricks? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because it comes back to something that you said, which was you the you have to understand the business, mm -hmm. right? And we're in a business, mm -hmm. and so w when I think a lot about what product's role is. Uh, in that equation, or that I think about like a triangle, right? You have mm -hmm. developers, you have UX, and then you have product managers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, it's it's really comes down to how well they understand context, right? Okay. You know, and and I think about I think about it a lot in terms of a threading exercise. So you're going to say, I want to build this feature. Right. You've done all this work, but the truth is, is that you should be able to understand all the way back up to the vision of the product or the company, you should be able to have a clear line of sight as to why that feature is something that you're going to do. Right. Uh, it should make sense. It should align to an imperative mm -hmm. or a strategy and mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you should be able to defend it. Mm -hmm. And then that strategy and that everything else should align back to what this top-line mm -hmm. vision is that you're mm -hmm. trying to build for, this mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. um, so, so long, I, you know, a lot of communication amongst that group comes mm -hmm. down to how well you communicate that mm -hmm. and give them context how well the things that we have built are performing. Mm -hmm. uh, are they getting results? Are they not? What are we doing about it? How are these things changing and how are they evolving? As opposed to just forgetting about that and then you just become this feature factory right. and everyone's just building, 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 building and you right. don't really know why. Right. Yeah. You make the thing that does everything for no one. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Right. Totally. Fantastic. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's, okay. Yeah. Well, I think um, before we close, maybe we'll yeah. just go around. Uh, one of the things I really wanted to talk about today was what made you guys decide yes. to come to Ventures. Well, maybe we'll go around. We'll each say our thing and, and, and close on that. Totally. Do you want to start, Adam? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for me, I'm, I've always been interested in, in something that feels substantive. Mm -hmm. So how can the work that I do actually impact a lot of people yep. um, or impact, uh, you know, a lot of businesses at a big scale? Mm -hmm. uh, and so the opportunity to come to an institution that's been around for a very long time uh, and, and is trying to do something that was kind of in my wheelhouse, right? Mm -hmm. Which is 
building these products, understanding startups and understanding how those things work. Uh, it was a really interesting marriage of, of the, not the old with the new, but like the established with the uh, innovative. Yeah. And so uh, that to me was really interesting in being able to do it at the scale of the, the base of the bank's customers. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, I think for me, it was a variety of uh, serendipitous moments. Um, ultimately, probably one of the things that really like sealed the deal was the people that I met um, before mm-hmm. joining were like amazing and really accessible and people I wanted to work with. Um, but so while, while I was in India, I was working with a few social enterprises. I volunteered to understand like social impact and stuff like that. Um, and I began to realize how when there's a real goal that puts humans at the center and there's a business objective, it it's something that I believe in to make the best impact. Mm. So I'm here trying to learn how to apply uh, the research skills that I gained in the field doing like the social research um, to apply that to a business context in order to understand how they can come together and really put people at the center of products and how it can fulfill both a social and a business goal at the same time. Mm, cool. Mm. What about yeah, you? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, you guys did such good ones that it's it's hard thing to follow. But um, the thing for me was really about, um, you know, sometimes, especially in UX, you're trying to solve problems with design. And sometimes those problems are problems with the business itself. And having the power of the bank, like you said, Adam, um, being able to apply that to solve those problems, and you know, maybe maybe it's something we fix with design. Maybe it's we structure this business differently. Um, I think having that level of impact on these um, products is super exciting thing for me. Totally. Yeah. 